an anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train. Episode 458, submission number 2522, The Completely Mental Misadventures of Ed Grimley. The Completely Mental Misadventures of Ed Grimley aired on NBC Saturday mornings from September 10th of 1988 to December 13th of 1988 for your standard 13 episodes, three less than your traditional crock block. know if you heard the news my birthday is coming up it's coming sunday happy birthday mike thank you and as we always do around here for birthdays you're given the money in the bank you're going to do one special episode and if we look back in the history of the podcast in 2021 i covered you don't know jack i think we agreed that was not a good episode or at least not a good show to cover on this podcast. It was not really good. I liked it. Well, that's the reason I did it is I liked it, but I'm sure if you ask Greg, that was a bomb. That wasn't good. And then how dare I mention this, but in 2022, I covered the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. And I'm not even going to look in the Zoom chat, but I can imagine that Greg has about seven Yankees thumbs down guys right there. He somehow created more thumbs just to give thumbs down to the Hudson Brothers Razzle Tazzle show. So that was not a good episode. But again, wasn't bad because of anything I did outside of spending my hard-earned money on that stupid DVD set and, and spending my time watching the DVD but last year, I think I made up for it quite a bit, covering Madam's Place. That was really a fun episode. And also remember, that was where we introduced the G-Man for the first time. Wait, wait, this is the one-year anniversary of the G-Man? That's right. Bet you the G-Man's out cracking a few cans in celebration. Well, I'm sure right now he's running the skate shop in Skate or Die. Yeah, I heard he just bought that back, so. <laughs> so, at this point, I'm, let's say, one for three. One and a half for three. You're generous. I'm guessing you're giving me the half for you don't know Jack. That would be correct. We all know that nobody's giving me any points or any credit at all for the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. I should have assumed that half point went to you don't know Jack. I'm giving you a hard-ass time for the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. Well, you guys have been doing that for two years now. I put you guys through a lot. But I think redemption is in the stars tonight. Tonight, we're going to talk about Martin Short. And if I remember correctly, this is the first time we're going to talk about Martin Short. But it probably won't be the last, because I'm looking at you, Maya and Marty. That is false. We did talk about Martin Short before. On previous entry, I'm not going to make me say this again. If it's the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show, you don't have to say it. I'm a big girl now. <laughs> no, not only that, 
But look at the background on my Zoom wall. <laughs> Saturday. What? No, no. Joe, because Morty hosted in 85. Oh, he hosted in 85, 86. Because he would have been on the cast 84, 85. Yeah, because he would have been on with uh, Chevy and um, Steve to plug three amigos. Actually, no, Greg Martin was not in the 85-86 SNL episode since him, Chevy, and Steve hosted in the 86-87 season. I just like hearing Chico admit that he's a big girl now. <laughs> Took a lot of bravery, a lot of guts, and to do it on my episode. You're a brave big girl now, Chico. So in 1988, somebody somewhere at NBC... Or somebody somewhere with Hanna-Barbera, since they produced this show, they thought an Ed Grimley cartoon would be a great addition to the Saturday morning lineup. Now, mind you, as Chico just mentioned, Martin Short was on SNL in 1984 and 1985, so you're talking about three years before was the last time Ed Grimley really had any sort of relevance in terms of not being rerun i mean we know that sctv and probably to a lesser extent the 1984-85 season of snl got rerun time in the 80s but somebody looked at this and said hey we're gonna make a saturday morning cartoon out of this i've got some questions about that just because in 1988 i would have been 13 and Ed Grimley was not really even on my radar that much. And if me at 13, or just a 13-year-old in general, it doesn't show up in their radar, it probably doesn't show up on a lot of 13-year-olds' radars. So this series, it focused on Ed Grimley's home life, and specifically it focuses on his neighbors, his landlord, and there's some interstitial segments that occasionally happen. One related directly to SCTV, the other made up for the show. We'll get to that in a little bit. Now you see the typical Ed Grimley in this series to a point. He plays the triangle a lot. You don't see any pictures of Pat Sajak, maybe for good reason. And he gets into just a lot of just general mischief because of his own doing. And it gets really bizarre. I'm just going to tell you that right now. This gets really, really bizarre. And actually, I mentioned to Chico and to Greg when I was starting to watch this that 10 minutes into the first episode, I had regrets. I thought this was not necessarily stupid, but uh, I was getting disinterested and confused really confused and then there must have been something that happened around episode two or episode three where i'm like you know this is actually kind of funny and then as i told greg and chico before we started recording at like episode 11 episode 12 i'm dead clinically dead because of just some of the goofy stuff that happened and some of the names they use and it's really absolutely hilarious. In this series, we have a lot of good quality names. I'm going to go through all of them, but I'm not going to go through all their credits because seriously, we could spend half an hour talking about all these people. We talked about Martin Short. Earlier, we talked about him on SCTV, and also we talked about him on SNL. If you remember, he had a talk show back in the day, and Honestly, I think the place that I remember him, or at least I remember him best from my early years, is The Three Amigos. I absolutely love that movie. Again, that sort of hit that sweet spot of getting to Mike at age 11 and just all the comedy clicked perfectly. And I really shouldn't ignore Only Murders in the Building. I'm so glad that ABC showed that a couple of months ago as... Uh, Strike filler programming. And season four is coming up soon. Meryl Streep in the cast. Well, Meryl Streep was in the third season, so they're bringing it back in season four. 
I might actually have to spend money on that. You know who's in season three of Only Murders in the Building? Who's that? Paul Rudd. And you know what that means. Really? On my birthday episode? Yes! Okay, you know what? I'm bringing out all the big guns when you do your money in the bank in May. So you just set yourself up for a big batch of failure. Okay, good. Again, with familiar names. Playing Miss Malone, who is the neighbor of Ed Grimley, is Catherine O'Hara, another SCTV alum. You're going to hear a lot of SCTV alum names in this episode. They bring out, like, everybody. Just about. Giving the voice to Mrs. Freebus in this series, she's the wife of the landlord of the apartment complex that Ed Grimley lives in, another SCTV alum, Andrea Martin. But playing Mr. Freebus, and not just Mr. Freebus, he plays, oh gosh, I probably counted at least like six or seven different characters. He plays Mr. Freebus, he plays... Uh, one of the Gustav brothers, who we'll get to in a little bit. He plays the Gustav brothers' mother. He did so many voices on this. And once I heard his voice, especially with some of these characters, it's like, oh, great. This explains why this series is so bizarre to a point beyond Ed Grimley. Jonathan Winters. I know we haven't talked about him much. We talked about him in Davis Rules, where I absolutely loved him. I thought he was the main reason why Davis rules was so enjoyable because really who falls in love with uh, Randy Quaid? He should be a Mr. Black. Yeah. There you go. We just added another Mr. Black to our running list of people that we despise. Randy Quaid, you're on there. Playing Count Floyd, which is another one of the interstitials. You have the uh, Gustav brothers we'll talk about in a little bit. And Count Floyd, who came from SCTV, is, again, another SCTV vet. Joe Flaherty. Giving voice to Sheldon, who is Ed Grimley's pet rat, is legendary voice actor Frank Welker. And again, we could be here forever and a day talking about what he's done. We've talked about him plenty of times. Giving voice to Wendell Malone, who is the brother of Catherine O'Hara's character, Miss Malone, is Danny Cooksey. We mentioned him last episode because he was on the final two seasons of Different Strokes. But he was Bobby Budnick on the Nickelodeon Classic. Salute your shorts. Oh, and Mike, do you know what movie he was in in 1988? 1988. Uh, Are you setting this up again? Yes! Okay, so we played this stupid clip twice now. Are you really going for like the high score this week? Yes. Well, good. I think it's going to stay at two unless you have some devious plan. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Who knows? Are you saying that like uh, Rob Lowe uh, in uh, Austin Powers with your finger up to your mouth? Maybe I won't. (laughs) When did you get a cat named Mr. Bigglesworth? Oh, never mind. That's the main cast, but there are so many names who provided additional voices in this series. I cannot let them just be unmentioned. Rene Aubergenois. We have Rob Paulson. Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. Artie Johnson. Artie Johnson did a voice. You know him from Laughing. Dave Thomas, another SCTV alum. Charlie Adler, he provided voices on a show that I recently rediscovered on Cartoon Network 
with their checkered past block, Cow and Chicken. Well, that's the greatest show, I think, maybe not in the history of the world, but I think it's underrated, especially when it comes to Cartoon Network shows. Also providing voices in this series, somebody we've talked about a number of times, Hamilton Kim. I know we mentioned him when I referred to the second episode of Turn On appeared on Internet Archive or YouTube maybe six months to a year ago. Hamilton Camp was one of the cast members on that second episode. I don't remember if he was on the first. I don't know if even really we got to see the entire first episode. I don't think so, but he's definitely on that second episode. So needless to say, we have a great cast here. Great voices, great actors, a very powerful cast. So the way the show is formatted, you have the main cartoon, and then sometime in the first generally six, seven, ten minutes, before the halfway point in the show, they cut away to the interstitial with the Amazing Gustav Brothers. And the Amazing Gustav Brothers, they do an animated segment about science in some capacity. It's supposed to be a science lesson tied into whatever Ed Grimley is going through. We'll get to that in a little bit. You'll see how that works out. And then in the second half of the show, Ed Grimley always wants to see his favorite TV show, which is Count Floyd's Scary Stories. And sometimes he sees it on his television. Sometimes he sees it in a television elsewhere, in a hospital, or in a limousine, or even on one episode, he starts falling asleep and dreams about the Count Floyd show. And at the end of each episode, not unlike Doogie Howser and numerous other shows, Ed writes down something in his diary about what happened that day. Now, I'm going to admit, I'm going to use the episode guide from Wikipedia But the episode guide from Wikipedia only has capsules for about four or five different episodes regarding the Amazing Gustav Brothers segments and Count Floyd's Scary Story segments. I have taken very intricate notes on the episodes that are not listed. So episode one is called Tall, Dark, and Handsome. The spelling on that is H-A-N-S-O-M which if you know what a handsome is, should give you a little tip as to what the episode's about. Ed fills in for his cousin driving a handsome cab and ends up in a horse race. Basically, it's a horse-drawn carriage, and the horse that Ed rides or controls, he's very lackadaisical, very slow, but when he hears certain types of music, he just like dashes off really fast, recklessly, and this happened once, in this cab when the mayor and her dog were getting a ride. And once this recklessness happened, the mayor gets out of the cab and says, oh, let me see. Oh, this is run by, she saw the name Grimley, but saw that it wasn't Ed Grimley. It was actually his uncle that rode the cab. So she looked at the license and said, you know, Mr. Grimley, you're going to lose your license. Unfortunately, Ed realized It's not him that's going to lose the license. It's his uncle who had nothing to do with this. Ultimately, Ed Grimley and the horse end up in this horse race. And I think we've heard this story before where the horse starts really slowly. And Ed Grimley has this moment of genius. He gets Wendell's Walkman and has the music on there that drives the horse crazy. And he puts the earphones over the horse's ears and the horse runs out of control real fast, catching up in the race. Doesn't win though, because the mayor is at this race with her dog. And when the mayor sees Ed Grimley, she gets mad, but also the dog is furious and wants to like fight the horse. And so the dog runs onto the track, the horse stops in its tracks before running into the dog. 
they don't win the race, but the mayor says, hey, thank you for not running over the little dog. I'm not going to take away your license after all. There's a nice little happy ending there. Now, the amazing Gustav brothers come into play because before the first speed up where the mayor threatens to take away the license, there's movers who are trying to move a piano to like the top floor of the building and they have like a pulley system. They're trying to pull up the piano and unfortunately the rope breaks and the piano starts falling. And thankfully everybody involved, the horse, Ed Grimley, the mayor, her dog, they get out of harm's way real fast. But that takes us to the first segment with the amazing Gustav brothers, Roger and Emil. They talk about gravity where Emil demonstrates Sir Isaac Newton's discovery of gravity by jumping out of the airplane dressed as an apple. One problem, though. Emil forgets his parachute. So Emil turns into applesauce. Well, not really, but yeah, no parachute. And then in Count Floyd's Scary Stories, Count Floyd reads to the children a story called The Curse of the Headless Mummy, where an archaeologist named Dr. Smythe enters a tomb containing a headless mummy where hieroglyphics say... He who enters this tomb will never leave and be trapped for all eternity. I should add, I mentioned earlier that Roger Gustav is voiced by Jonathan Winters. Emil Gustav is voiced by Martin Short. Going to episode two, Ed's debut. Ed mistakenly thinks he is asked to play triangle for the city's Philharmonic Orchestra. On the way to the concert hall, Ed Grimley is arrested and imprisoned for a bank robbery he did not commit. Basically, he was in a car, driving his car, and the robbery happened at that time, and Ed Grimley was basically in the wrong place at the wrong time. The bank robbers jumped in his car, and Ed had to say, hey, I had nothing to do with this. They came in my car. Flaherty ensues. For the Amazing Gustav Brothers segment, Roger and Emil talk about centrifugal force by visiting the amusement park by going on the screaming banshee of hades ride another problem though darn emil he had some food before he got on and started throwing up and then on count floyd's scary stories count floyd reads to the children a story about a little girl who went to visit her grandfather in oklahoma who advised her not to go into the attic when a kid asks if Count Floyd is a real vampire because of his howling, Count Floyd comments that his grandmother is a part werewolf and it runs in the family. When he tries to turn into a bat, the spell Count Floyd uses makes him fat instead. Oh, God. And hilarity really ensues when he tries getting back into his coffin, but he's fat. He can't fit into it. He's fat. He's fat. I think this might have been the turning point where I went from this is like laborious, this is not good to this is actually very funny if you really look at the uh, segments involving the amazing Gustav brothers and Count Floyd scary stories. And I'll be the first to admit it, I spent most of my time watching those over the cartoon itself. Not to take anything away from the cartoon, but I thought these segments were absolutely hilarious. Episode three is called E.G. Go Home. Ed and Wendell, the annoying brother of his crush, a ditzy amateur actress named Miss Malone, go on an amusement park ride rocket, taking them to another planet which is ruled by an alien queen who sounds like Betty Davis. Oh, wow. And I think this was a Twilight episode where some people went to another planet and they were put in like a human zoo. That happened to them too. They walked into like Earthling Park. So they see all these aliens dressed as humans. They're like, oh good. There's actually like real humans here. And it's just aliens acting as humans at this amusement park. And so the aliens take off their masks. And Ed and Wendell just get the living stink just scared out of them. Because there's no humans here. Somehow they get home. I don't remember exactly how they get home, but the hilarity surely ensued. So for the amazing Gustav brothers, since we're talking about a rocket ship, 
Their segment was about rocket propulsion, where Emil wears a jetpack in an uninhabited desert that would make him zoom off into the stratosphere. And then Count Floyd's scary story for this week, in his imagination, Ed talks to Count Floyd, apologizing for missing his show, because he's on another planet. Count Floyd decides to make an exception and rerun it for him. In this episode, Count Floyd reveals that he, in his bat form, starred in first-rate horror films for getting his own show. He shows his first flick he made called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Ed. Here's the question I have, Mike. You see Ed's calendar in the episode? Oh, yes. There's five days in a week on his calendar. So I'm wondering, did Ed buy like a crappy calendar that only shows five days of a week? Because I think Ed's getting ripped off there. Maybe it's like a Simpsons thing where everybody has four fingers. Maybe in this world, there's only five days in a week. Or maybe he got ripped off of the two days a week. I don't know. Well, remember, he also paid 19 bucks for that Count Floyd poster. But that was money well spent. I mean, you, with all due respect, admit you've spent more on less. Yes, I have. So I don't think $19 in 1988 is necessarily a waste of money. No, especially for a Count Floyd poster. Especially given Ed Grimley absolutely loves Count Floyd. Absolutely. Trust me, if there was a 1988 Nidra Vols calendar, I wouldn't touch it with a forklift. Good. Oh, you thought I was going to say I was going to buy it. No. No, that's just absolutely disgusting. She would have been like 80 years old in 1988, and I would have been 13, and my mother would have probably sent me to therapy if I did that. And also, you have taste. Whoa. Whoa. Hold on a second. Don't rush to judgment. Episode four, Ed's in hot water, looking after the apartment building for the Freebus family while she and her husband are on vacation. Ed tries to fix the water heater and ends up going down the drain into the ocean and on an island where he finds a stranded Amelia Earhart-esque aviator. Wow, so he found Amelia Earhart. So that's where she was all this time. I think this is actually sort of like the Genesis story of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Ed went down the drain and ended up in the ocean and found Amelia Earhart or a lookalike of Amelia Earhart. Well, that's just the open from Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I'm not wrong. Except where is Toad during all of this? Who cares? Don't add variables. In this episode, the amazing Gustav brothers explain whirlpools going back to the drain that we're talking about that uh, Ed Grimley went through, and they get sucked into a whirlpool, which is just, again, a bathtub drain. And they actually see themselves going down this whirlpool, and there's this rubber duck. Now, comparatively in size, it's a giant rubber duck, but you see at the end they're actually going down this bathtub drain. And in Count Floyd's Scary Stories... Instead of watching a scary story, Count Floyd draws a scary story about a boy and his dog tiptoeing into Dead Man's Cave, which contained bars of gold. A blue blob monster scares the boy and his dog out of the cave. Count Floyd changes the story into a story about a girl at a slumber party with Frankenstein. Don't ask. Episode 5. Great Expectations. Ed gets trapped in a crate while trying to get a birthday present for Miss Malone. Meanwhile, in a spoof of It's a Wonderful Life, Miss Malone is depressed over being passed up for a TV movie and being a struggling actress at 25. She meets a guardian angel named Jim who shows what her life would be if she was never born. The amazing Gustav brothers in this episode go back in time to their childhood where they had a disagreement while in the bathtub. There must be a theme here about bathtubs because they went down one in the previous episode and now they're arguing in the bathtub. And I also do need to add, I think this is the first appearance of the Gustav brothers mother 
because while they're arguing in the bathtub, Roger decides to show how water is displaced by basically doing a cannonball into the bathtub, getting water everywhere, and the mother's furious. Oh, and by the way, I should add, who voices the mother in this series? Jonathan Winters. Like I said, he does at least like half a dozen voices from what I could tell in all these episodes. And Jonathan Winters, he just does such a great old lady voice. Going back to Davis Rules, did it there, did it on Hollywood Squares episodes back in the 70s. It's vintage Jonathan Winters, to say the least. And then the Count Floyd scary story in this episode, Count Floyd shows some super scary home movies. Then he plays a preview from next week's movie called The Spooky Cloud in the Middle of the Swamp. Episode 6 is called Grimly PFC. In the wrong line to return a library book, Ed joins the army and ends up second banana to a Bob Hope-like USO performer voiced by Dave Thomas. In this episode for the amazing Gustav brothers, a wrecking ball smashes through the brothers' lab, creating a lot of dust. The brothers just throw it back to Ed at that point. The wrecking ball destroyed their lab. They can't do anything. Sorry, Ed. And then Count Floyd's scary stories for this week. Count Floyd's best of episode one looks back to a 1966 scary story. When the show doesn't have the movie Count Floyd wants to show, he tells the story of Peter Rabbit. A kid then tells a story about a family going to a drive-in movie. Episode seven is called Moby is Lost. Oh, I should say Moby is Ed's goldfish. So Ed's pet goldfish Moby is missing and Ed hires a television-obsessed sea captain to lead the search. In the Amazing Gustav Brothers segment, the brothers talk about their growth acceleration experiment gone wrong as a giant domestic cat startles them. And then Count Floyd's scary stories for this episode, Count Floyd tells the story of the revenge of the ghost chicken. Cecil and Egbert criticize Count Floyd's show in the method of two famous film critics from that time, Boy, I wonder who Cecil and Egbert could be. No idea. Count Floyd interrupts the review and gets three thumbs down from them. I don't think we ever got three thumbs down from Siskel and Ebert. Yet these two kids, they gave Count Floyd three thumbs down. I have questions. (laughs) I may have answers. Where did the third thumb come from? Uh, you have two hands. Yes. So one, oh, person, one person gave one thumb down. The other gave two thumbs down. Didn't even think about that. Yeah, you overthought it there, I think. Or underthought it. Episode 8 is titled Good Neighbor Ed. Ed wins a contest, but to fulfill the contest rules, he needs to take a picture of all of his neighbors. And believe it or not, this episode is actually in the form of a musical. Not the entirety of the episode, but you had song numbers throughout the episode. The Amazing Gustav Brothers segment this time talks about elasticity by creating a 100-meter rubber band. Then they stretch it to its maximum length before the tension launches the brothers into space. And Count Floyd's scary stories. Count Floyd has a special guest, Skippy High, who sings, quote-unquote, scary songs, like one about a cat and one about a grasshopper. Skippy flips out and acts out a traumatic scene from his childhood. Episode 9 is titled Driver Ed. Miss Malone needs to learn how to drive and calls upon Ed to teach her, but an accident turns the two into wandering spirits who haunt Mr. Freebus. The Amazing Gustav Brothers in this episode try to prove Newton's third law of motion, which for those of you who don't know, is that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, and they do this by playing baseball. Emil pitches a baseball to Roger, and Roger has to hit it. That's your equal and opposite reaction. That proves the third law of motion from Newton. But the problem is, He gets two strikes without swinging the bat. And then on the third pitch, 
it's a called strike, even though he got beamed in the head. And I should add, their mother is the umpire in this situation. And then Count Floyd's scary stories. Count Floyd shares one of his favorite stories from the comic book Tales from the Graveyard, but starts by flashing back to his childhood where Floyd's mom threatens him if he ever reads a comic book again. When Floyd shares the story, his mother punishes him for reading the comic book on air. That's going to take us to episode 10, which is Blown in the Wind. Tell me if this sounds familiar. While on his way to his aunt's house for a game of Monopoly, Ed is caught up in the same tornado that sent Dorothy Gale to the land of Oz, only he ends up on the farm with Aunt Em, Uncle Henry, and a recuperating Dorothy, where a traveling summer stock show with a Jerry Lewis-like director are hoping for a shot at Broadway. So you had a takeoff of It's a Wonderful Life earlier. Now you've got The Wizard of Oz. And we've got another one coming up the next episode, but we'll get to that in a little bit. The Amazing Gustav Brothers this time, the day's lesson is on aerodynamics. The brothers take flight to Hawaii in a paper plane. However, the paper plane is downed by a volcano. Amal gets sunburned because neither brother decided to bring sunblock on their Hawaiian trip. And for Count Floyd's scary stories, during the show, Count Floyd is flustered by the kids in the audience playing with a Count Floyd doll. He is then interested in the doll, at least until a kid talks about how Raggedy Ann drove a wooden stake into Count Floyd's chest. Count Floyd's story is about a couple on vacation because Floyd, he was reading a travel brochure. So Count Floyd talks to the kids about voodoo because there's like voodoo cannibals in this trip that Count Floyd's talking about, even though the vacation place doesn't have it. I think it's just a little bit of goofing around there. So he talks to the kids about voodoo. Then the kid that had the doll starts tickling the Count Floyd doll with a feather and he starts laughing and reacting. And then she starts like tossing the doll around, like holding the hands and he's like popping up and down. And then another kid tries to take the doll from this girl. So they're yanking the doll, throwing it to the ground. And all this does is in voodoo form is just punishing Count Floyd in the process. You mentioned the Wizard of Oz. First of all, that's another network. And second of all, you're two years early. Two years early for what? The Wizard of Oz cartoon. I'm just saying it's like the movie. I I know what you're trying to say. Okay, episode 11. This one's a good one. I really thought this was hilarious. Eyewitness Ed. Needing hot dog franks for a party, Ed makes a run to the store, which resembles the Bates Motel, and witnesses Derbingle robbing the proprietor, who's voiced by Eugene Levy, and he testifies against him and then has to get into witness protection. Now, first and foremost, I should say the store that Ed goes to, coincidentally or otherwise, is called the Bates Deli, B-A-Y-T-E-S. But again, remember, the store looks like the Bates Motel, which it does. And you're not going to believe the name of the person working the register, doing everything at the deli. Not even any guesses? Is it Norman? It is Norman. And actually, at one point, his mother comes out and says something to Norm Bates or Norman or whatever. But it's exactly like psycho at this point and even the voices are like spot on and so ed witnesses this robbery but he doesn't really witness it per se because he's watching on a tv screen the closed captioning feed from the security camera and he thinks he's watching a tv show so while this robbery is happening he's thinking he's watching a tv show but then it hits him literally and figuratively because the robber is walking backwards and bumps into Ed Grimley and basically falls over backwards, and that's when the police swarm and grab him and arrest him. But again, since Ed decided to testify against him to lock up this guy, he went into witness protection, and basically Ed Grimley looked the same, except instead of having 
black hair. He had blonde hair. He still had the cowlick and all that stuff. So he looked just like himself, but with blonde hair. And he changed his voice from his Ed Grimley voice to having a voice with like a slight British accent. And somehow the guy who did this robbery, he got out and he found Ed at a magic show. His girlfriend happened to be the hat check girl. And he's like, that guy looks familiar. That guy sounds familiar. And then finally it hits him. It's Ed Grimley. And he tries killing him throughout the rest of the episode, but it backfires on him and he gets arrested again. Greg, I hope you're sitting down for this because this is where it gets really goofy. Oh, I'm ready. What is it? So for the amazing Gustav brothers, there is no lesson today because the brothers have tickets to the circus. Their mother, who we've talked about earlier, catches them playing hooky when she rides a unicycle while spinning dishes on a high wire. The boys improvise a lesson about the science of balancing stuff. Their mother shoots the boys out of a cannon because they're playing hooky, telling them that once they land, they're to walk all the way home without any shoes on. And then for Count Floyd's scary stories, Count Floyd's movie is in 3D. Woo! The oozing killer slime monster. A kid complains about the 3D effect sucking. We all had those glasses back in the day. It wasn't a great effect. The end of the movie has the slime monster killed from a drop bomb. Count Floyd asks the kids how they enjoyed the movie, and the kid who complained earlier, he's all covered with slime while every other kid is not. Oh, gosh. Oh, if you think that's weird, episode 12. Not the episode itself, but the segments. Eddie, we hardly knew ye. Ed goes into the hospital for a tonsillectomy where his roommate is a werewolf voiced by Christopher Guest. Yes, his roommate is a werewolf. Sit back, Greg. This is where I think it gets really bizarre. The amazing Gustav brothers in this episode, we talked about how Ed's getting a tonsillectomy. Emil explains tonsils to Roger by going into a mouth not unlike what they do on the magic school bus. So they like shrink down in size and go into a normal person's mouth. Emil falls down the throat, but he grabs onto the tonsils, saving him from possible death. Roger then rescues Emil by using some used dental floss that was in the guy's mouth. Don't ask, but hey, it works as rope. The segment ends as the person drinks a can of soda, causing the brothers to go down the throat, who then tossed the show back to Ed and his story with the werewolf as his roommate in the hospital. This is where I lost it. With Count (laughs) Floyd's scary story this episode, I was dying laughing when I wrote this, and I actually had to rewatch this about four or five times to make sure I got all the details down accurately. Just imagine the visual picture when I explain this. So Ed Grimley dozes off and dreams of a groovy Count Floyd edition from the 1960s. The day's story is the attack of the spooky killer 50-foot potato monster man. And it starts with a girl who got a job at a hamburger stand. That night, the janitor of the hamburger stand knocked over some secret sauce And when we say secret sauce, it did say secret sauce on the barrel, but think nuclear ooze. So some of this nuclear ooze fell onto a potato, causing it to mutate into the title character, a spooky killer 50-foot potato monster man. Meanwhile, somehow the girl the next day is at a spelling bee when the potato monster man appears. The God, I can't... This is going to be tough. I'm sorry. The girl wins the spelling bee and wins a prize. The prize is a vegetable chopper, like a slap chop, you know, what uh, Vince used to use, you know, with his nuts. (laughs) You're going to love my nuts. You know what I'm talking about. So it's one of those types of choppers. So the potato monster man sees this and starts running away in fear. Count Floyd starts talking to a young girl in an evening gown in the audience 
And she's named Vanna White, just like you know who. And she even says, she was a spelling bee champ and says, my name is Vanna White, V-A-N-N-A-W-H-I-T-E. Count Floyd then starts talking to the kid version of Ed Grimley. Dead serious. He's got the cowlick. He's got the clothes. He's got those slacks hiked all the way up to his nipples, basically. Looks just like a little version of Ed Grimley. And then when there's still a minute to kill, Count Floyd jokes. This is more of a 70s joke than a 60s joke, but it's still a great way to end this segment. He jokes, who's timing this thing? Nixon? Fade to black. (laughs) I don't know what was the best part of that. The spooky killer 50-foot potato monster man the girl winning the spelling bee and getting a vegetable chopper, which scares the potato man or count Floyd talking to quote unquote Vanna white or count Floyd talking to little Ed Grimley, or even that last line, who's timing this thing, Nixon. Perfect. And then fade to black. Nothing else after that. Beautifully done. Because every 10-year-old kid on the playground, you know, they all reference the 1988 Watergate. Well, again, like I said, this episode, I said from the 60s, it clearly looked like something from the Flower Power era. So, yeah, Nixon became president in 68. I know Watergate didn't happen to, like, 72, 73. It makes sense, though, as a joke, I think, given what we know about Nixon, even though, again, it wasn't in the 60s. And after all that mayhem, that takes us to the final episode, The Irving Who Came to Dinner. Irving Cohen pays a visit and helps Ed reveal a couple of hucksters. And Irving Cohen was a character that Martin Short played on SCTV and actually brought to SNL. So this isn't, again, some random character. This is one within the SNL and SCTV canon. Final Amazing Gustav Brothers As Ed Grimley's vacuum goes wild, the brothers talk about how vacuums work. Roger makes cocoa, which interests Amal, until Roger says he has no marshmallows. And that drives Amal crazy. And even Roger says at one point, well, okay, instead of marshmallows, we can put pieces of chalk in there. Oh, you're just making things worse. I mean, you're making Amal really mad. And then Roger accidentally turns on the drawing of the vacuum. (laughs) No joke. The drawing of the vacuum on this chalkboard. And Roger accidentally turns on the drawing of the vacuum, causing both brothers to be sucked into the vacuum drawing's canister. And then their mother comes by looking for the brothers, can't find them. And she decides to erase the vacuum cleaner from the chalkboard in the process of erasing Roger and Abel. Then the mom cleans the erasers by banging the erasers outside a window, causing the brothers to become human again, and also causing them to fall several stories of the ground. (laughs) I told you this gets more and more bizarre, but at the same time, it gets funnier and funnier. And then Count Floyd's scary stories for this episode. Count Floyd's final story is called The Prince, The Witch, and Some Other People Too. A prince was looking for someone to marry. He heard someone singing, leading him to a witch. This glorious voice was coming from a witch. The prince locked the witch in a tower until the wedding, where he met a beautiful princess held prisoner in the tower. So one night, the prince and that princess escaped from the dungeon tower in the middle of the night. As they flee, the witch magically appeared to warn the prince that the princess herself is a witch who put the original witch under a spell which would only end if she got married. So now this new witch, if you will, the princess, turns the original witch and the prince into frogs. They got married and lived happily ever after, which made the count mad because he doesn't tell fairy tales. He tells just scary stories. And believe it or not, that is the series. In retrospect, this series, I think, is a great series. 
but I think there's one problem. Maybe two. I think this is a series that maybe if it was like three years earlier, or maybe even three years later, I think it might work out a little better. But also, and this sort of ties in with the three years earlier, three years later thing, please remember what debuted in late 1989, The Simpsons. And The Simpsons sort of had this renaissance of the primetime cartoon. So I think if this waited to like 91, I think it could work as a primetime cartoon, even though you're talking now six years since Ed Grimley last appeared on an original SNL episode. Alternatively, I think if this premiered on Saturday nights, maybe after Saturday Night Live, or maybe, let's say, once a month in place of a half an hour of Saturday Night Live, I think it might have worked there too. It just doesn't work for an audience of kids. I mean, yeah, maybe you had college students watch it. And really, if you look at it, Saturday mornings, you don't really have like overly adult shows like this. Maybe they're trying to capitalize on Pee Wee's Playhouse, kind of, sort of, since Pee Wee's Playhouse was originally a comedy show when he was with the Groundlings and whatever else. I know it later transitioned to Pee Wee's Big Top and Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but I can see some parallels there. But if you look at the schedule, it aired originally at 11.30 in the morning. On ABC, you had the venerable Bugs Bunny and Tweety show. I don't think you're beating that. But I think you get away with it on CBS. They were airing the Teen Wolf cartoon. After the original run aired, the time slot moved around February of 1989 to 12.30 in the afternoon. And that lasted the rest of the 1988-89 season till late August. And at that point, on ABC, you had the ABC Weekend Special. And speaking of venerable series that lasted forever, it seems, on CBS, you had CBS Story Break. So as I said earlier, I think this was destined to fail because this was adult cartoon guts packaged in a kid's show, or at least in a time slot which would normally be occupied by traditional Saturday morning cartoons. Maybe it would have worked at a different time slot. Maybe it would have worked possibly in primetime. Maybe it could have been that groundbreaking show that The Simpsons turned out to be. Because remember, there were like no primetime cartoons Essentially from previous entry, where's Huddles? I think we did have like one or two in the early 70s, but we did not have a primetime cartoon on from legitimately like 74 to 1990. So maybe we could have had a a rebirth, a renaissance of the primetime cartoon from the 60s. The Jetsons, the Flintstones, Top Cat, we could go on. And believe it or not, I really couldn't believe this. This was a Hanna-Barbera show. I just didn't imagine the legendary Hanna and Barbera doing a show like this. But at the same time, if you ever watch it, I'm specifically talking about the open. I think there's some animation that only Hanna-Barbera could have done. If you see the credits, right near the end of the credits, probably in the last, like, seven seconds, ten seconds, five seconds, you see Ed Grimley, in terms of Martin Short, dresses Ed Grimley, you see him with, like, a latex outfit of Ed Grimley. So you see him put on this outfit, which is basically his clothing in cartoon form, and then you see Martin Short put on this mask of Ed Grimley, this cartoon mask over his real face. I thought that was pretty cool for 1988 technology. I mean, yeah, you could do that nowadays really easily, but I thought that was pretty darn slick for 1988. 
But like I said, I sort of warmed up to it on episode two, and I was like totally dead by episode 11, episode 12. Those last three episodes, man, those shouldn't have been the last three episodes. Maybe you should have put those first. Just saying. I just, like I said, just almost fell out of my chair laughing because it was so funny. And you heard how Greg and Chico reacted to those three capsules, the capsules and also the two segments. It was downright hilarious. Now, if you want to see this, good news. There's plenty of ways to see this. They do sell the series on Amazon Prime. It's $1.99 an episode, or you can get the whole series for $19.99. Or you could do what I did and waste money. No, not waste money. This is good money. Like I said, it's a good series. It's money well spent. In my hand, I have the Completely Mental Misadventures of Ed Grimley DVD. The price I saw is now like $22.99. I thought I paid less than that for it. I don't think I paid more than $20. So maybe the price varies on different circumstances, on supply and demand or what have you, how many they have in stock. I don't know. But you can get it on Amazon Prime for a little bit less than getting the tangible physical version of it. So, guys, do we have anything else we want to say about the completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley? It was completely mental, that's for sure. That's definitely a good word to describe it. As I said earlier, I think given the reactions you guys had, especially in the last three episodes, the humor was there. It just wasn't necessarily there for the teenage audience and the preteen audience. It was more of a college adult show. So maybe if it moved, maybe we'd be talking about a different fate. But unfortunately, completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley, while it was brilliant, it just became a thing on TV. That's going to do it for this week. But please remember, go to itwasathingontv.com. We have 457 previous episodes there. And also remember, we've got all sorts of great stuff there. Minisodes, live shows, extended versions, instant reactions, delayed reactions. Greg did the first delayed reaction based on the uh, Winter Classic. No, the Stadium Series. The sta- oh, I'm so- oh the, the Winter Classic is on New Year's. I apologize about that. I'm not an NHL fan in case you don't know. But the big thing is... There's over 600 files there. So I think we're at 604 now, 603. Regardless, there's plenty of stuff to keep you busy there. And please don't forget we're on all social media, minus that one site. Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon, for example, over at It Was The Thing On TV. Except don't forget Facebook, we are at It Was The Thing On TV podcast. And always remember, if you want to find us on Mastodon, you need to search for us at It Was a Thing on TV at tvwatch.party. And don't forget the Friday on the bus cuts of our two shows for the week on Fridays at Place to Be Nation Pop Experience. And if you listen through the whole drop this week, man, what madness we had in the first episode, huh? Yeah, it was a little mad in the beginning of the first episode. Just a little bit, but we got through. It was a sort of mental misadventure there. But also, please remember, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found. That includes Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible, independent podcast players. You'll find us. We're not that hard to find. And please don't forget, we're also on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to our channel. And please don't forget to hit that notification bell so you can stay informed of all future uploads on the channel, including episodes coming up next week. We're going to talk about a show we actually referred to last week. I think it's the first time we've referred to that series ever, and magically it popped up on our list. I'm not going to give away anything because I don't want to give away the title by you guys going back and listening to one of the episodes last week and saying, aha, I know what they're going to talk about. No, we're not going to give away any secrets. But then the second episode, 
Chico, I'm very tired. Because you know what? Stuff happens on days like these. Stuff happens on days like these, indeed. Maybe if we uh, threw you back to the good old days of the uh, mid to late 1970s, it'll jog your memory. Yes, please take me back to my infancy. If you couldn't tell, we're kicking off our annual Lost in Translation week, which is more like three weeks because reasons, but our first installment. Hey, you like that 70s show? Yeah! We're gonna make it British. Boo! So you got those two episodes coming up next week right here at It Was a Thing on TV. As always, thank you very much for listening. Thank you in advance for all the birthday gifts you're going to send me. And we'll catch you here next week with those two episodes. Greg, take us home. Now, guys, I wish that the completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley had this guy. Are you Charles Finster? (sighs) Do you know who I am? That's right. I'm TV personality Pat Sajak. Do you have any idea why I should be here at your home, 446 Braintree Lane? Because you just won $10 million! Why does Pat Sajak look like he could, like, release his jaw and swallow him whole? He had the biggest mouth. He's like some sort of reticulated python or something. (laughs) That's how they animated him, I guess. Oh, my God. Well, guys, I cannot believe that this episode is basically almost over. I mean, it's finally over, but wait a minute. What, what, what oh, my! Oh, hold what? on! Hold a on! Birthday surprise! That's the G-Man's music! What's going on here? Yeah, everybody, it's me, the G-Man. I'm back here. Oh, Mike, it's been one year, I can't believe it, but I'm here to make a very important announcement for Greg. Okay. That's right. G-Man, do you want to say it? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm here to announce that Greg is cashing in his money in the bank, everybody. Oh, my gosh, a birthday surprise indeed. That's right. I got the briefcase right here. I'm going to give it to Greg. Here you go. Oh, thank you, G-Man. He's been holding this briefcase well for me. He's been protecting it well. So in this briefcase, I got a contract for an episode in May. So, okay, guys, like I always do, always want to have the dramatic reveal ready for you guys. Here we go. Now, I have it hidden. You don't know what it is, right? Cannot see it. No, you covered up the title. I've covered up the title. Here it is. Here's the show. Coming to It Was a Thing on TV in late May. My life was all in order. They tossed a hand grenade. I thought I might be dreaming, but you didn't say. I thought if I ignored you, maybe you just might go away. Is it, it just my love? in Hamilton Camp in this episode he's in just our luck yes great timing but also Greg I do want to make a declaration that briefcase you call that a briefcase that's a briefcase that looks like something 10 year olds keep their Yu-Gi-Oh cards in okay Chico get it right it's what douchey 10 year olds keep their sports cards in like I said it's what douchey 10 year olds keep their Yu-Gi-Oh cards in Well, you missed the douchey part.
But no, that refers to uh, a comment I got earlier this week. This is one of those cases that you can buy at like Harbor Freight, which you can customize the foam to any size you want. So I bought this for a couple of card shows coming up this weekend. And also the card shop I go to has a trade night, first ever trade night tomorrow night. And so I told the owner that I got this case because I didn't want to have like 300, 400 cards just sitting in a cardboard box or anything like that. I wanted to organize it in some capacity. And he says, don't tell me you have one of those cases that douchey 10-year-olds carry sports cards in. And I said, yes, I'm a douchey, almost 50-year-old who carries his cards in a orange plastic case of some sort. So yeah, I, I'm apparently almost five times older than douchey little kids who swear their cards are worth so much money. Dang. 